and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter the price, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project's founder Scotty Reed. Brother Johanan should be joining us in a few weeks. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the July 12th 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. We are only weeks away from the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, D.C., August 19th, the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists in U.S. history. Guess what we'll be talking about today? You can bet it ain't about no damn Russian meddling, someone's emails, or whether or not nuking North Korea is a good idea. On this day in history, in 1861, the Confederacy signed treaties with Native Americans. Special Commissioner Albert Pike completes treaties with the members of the Choctaw and Chickasaw, Creek, Seminole, Comanche, and Caddos tribes, giving the new Confederate States of America several allies in Indian territory. Some members of the tribes also fought for the Confederacy. By signing these treaties, the tribes severed their relationships with the federal government, much in the way the southern states did by seceding from the Union. They were accepted into the Confederate States of America, and they sent representatives to the Confederate Congress. The Confederate government promised to protect the Native Americans' land holdings and to fulfill obligations such as annuity payments made by the federal government. Some of these tribes even sent troops to serve in the Confederate Army, and one Cherokee, Stan Wati, rose to the rank of Brigadier General. Ironically, many of these tribes had been expelled from the southern states in the 1830s and 1840s, but still chose to ally themselves with those states during the Civil War. On our radar today, we'll be listening to a couple of videos produced by Scotty and myself today and discussing the circumstances. Much like the abolitionist movement of the 1800s, as we gain momentum, we find ourselves as the subject of promised violence and in the crosshairs of white supremacist groups and media personalities who are doing everything in their power to demonize and criminalize anyone who threatens their way of life. 
We'll also examine the study using data from more than 9,000 cities. The researchers first found that cities with larger black populations rely more on fines and court fees to raise revenue. Then if time allows, we'll take a look at those two phrases and where they came from, which are black on black crime and mass incarceration. Our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Andrew Leander Wilson. On March 16, 2017, Wilson 62, 62 was released from the Los Angeles County Men's Jail after spending 32 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering 1842 Cherokee Slave Revolt. If you've got a question or a comment, you can call us toll-free at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, what's going on, comrade? Looking forward to seeing you this Saturday down in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Yeah, I think that's going to be a thing for the for coming future, brother. You and me side by side at discussions and things that are going on. I'm glad to see you getting the, some opportunities to get out uh, of the studio every now and then and uh, do things face to face. It's it's much more different. Yeah, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But you know, we all got our roles to play, and my skills are most needed in the studio and getting our propaganda out there to combat the propaganda of the system. But you're right. Um, it, it is good to get. I mean, I, I wish that we were coming together under circumstances where we have something to celebrate, but it's still good to come out with you and uh, tribal and agitate for end of slavery. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Yes, and you'll be going to the Carolina Human Rights Organizing uh, Organizing Conference for 2017 this year as a speaker in regards to media. Uh, You're a brother who really plays its role to the hilt, and uh, you have been a blessing to many voices who would not have had an opportunity to get out so widespread without you. Yes, looking forward to that as well. And then, of course, the August 19th uh, rally in March. I'll be one of the moderators for the rally in Lafayette Park, uh, where we will be letting the world know that the United States pulled the longest con job in the history of man. I can't think of any longer con job. You know, Max, and I haven't had an opportunity to make a video about this, but there's this African-American historian. She's also a professor. I'm not going to give her name out. She just wrote a book, which is a good book. You know, in turn, well, I I can't, I haven't read the book, so I'm going to say it seems to be good subject matter. I think it's called Pound the Flesh, and it examines the worth of the bodies of the enslaved victims, but you could write an updated, a modern version of that. As we have talked about constantly on this program, how much it the state is paying uh, to incarcerate bodies and whatnot, to enslave these bodies. I mean, like you said, put a kid, put a, a child in prison in New York, and it's like gold coins are flying out his behind or her behind. So we could write a book about that, you know. So, but again, this is the challenge that that we face. It, even when we have African American historians talking about slavery and past tense, that just tells me how much this rally 
it's needed so that, you know, we can publicize to the world that slavery was never abolished. They've been running a long con job. All you got to do is read the 13th Amendment. But tonight, I'm feeling particularly energized uh, from Tando, listening to Tando radio show and participating uh, because they, he gave me a good idea. And I've actually heard Dick Gregory talk about this before. Um, I used to play it. Well, it probably does still play on the station, but it's been a while since I've heard it. But I put uh, some some uh, instrumental music behind Dick Gregory talking about, well, how do you end all these police shootings? And he was talking, you know, t- just talking about police shootings in general. And he said, if you boycott Christmas and say, if we don't get a federal law, that says that anytime you shoot somebody and it's found that you did wrong, then you can never work again in policing. And he said, all you got to do is cancel Christmas. Just don't everybody commit to not buying nothing from that one day. And I was just thinking about doing Tando, how vulnerable this system is. Because my daughter works in retail. Well, both my daughters have worked in retail. I have worked in retail. And it should be pretty much common knowledge to everybody who knows a little something about retail that, like Dick Gregory said, they lose money all year just trying to make it to Christmas. And once they make it to Christmas, uh, in, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, that's when they do 90% of their business. So I'm like, okay. If we decided at this march or or rally or we you know we have a conference a private conference and we just agree that we're going to pick okay let's say Christmas would be we wouldn't want it to be that first Christmas this Christmas we need time to spread the word and get the get the information out there that if they do not remove the exception clause from the 13th amendment and abolish private prisons and jails and just end slavery that for what 16 months from now we're count like the little uh, uh young sister said or was related to us uh cap- capitalism canceled and i just realized how vulnerable they are because i know for a fact that they will lose money retail businesses will lose money all year just waiting on christmas Okay, and, and 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 so we can leverage that. We can leverage that, and we can just convince people it's more important to abolish slavery than getting a deal on a widescreen TV or getting it. You know what I'm saying, Max? And so, yes. I, man, I'm just really energized by that. I feel where you're coming from, Scotty, but I got to There's an echo going on, but um. From my perspective, I have been boycotting Christmas for about 10 years straight now. I make videos every year calling for the boycott of Christmas. Somebody's boycotting Christmas every single year. And there's some lessons that I have personally learned over these years. One of those being is I'm not interested in trying to get the masses to do anything. I am going to work with the minorities who usually lead shit anyway. But Max, Uh, it won't work without the masses. That they can do. It won't work without the masses, like we were talking about on Tando Radio Show. We don't need, we, look, look, we got 300 million people, and I understand what you're saying, Max, 
it always has been been a minority and I don't participate in Christmas either but we haven't had I, I can't speak for you but I have never heard of no sustained movement and uh, it wasn't a, a really an abolitionist movement behind it at that time it was just different people put it up for different reasons you know talking about the symptoms of slavery like Dick Gregory was police shootings those are slave catchers you know those are slave catchers that's related to slavery so if we had 16 months to produce all kind of propaganda get it out to media producers get it out to I mean just handing out fly I mean we it would man we would need now we wouldn't need all 300 million people in this country okay I I think we could do tremendous damage if just 50 million and we can get 50 million just for that those two week period don't buy nothing don't buy nothing. Man, I got to have the glass half full, man. Like, it can't be half empty, bro. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Scotty. I didn't realize you could hear my videos when I turned them on, and I, I was finding one, and it came on by itself. Okay. What I actually was finding was the video I did uh, last year regarding this very topic. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Max, it's, it's, don't get, don't, man, don't get discouraged, man. Because of the failures of the past, we got to keep trying, bro. And who knows? You misunderstand my perspective, brother. Okay, okay. I make it my business to study how superorganisms act and what instincts they follow, things like that. I've been doing that for years. I'm a student of uh, chaos and complexity theory. And you don't need to try to convince the masses to do anything. They are going to do what they're going to do. Knowing that in advance is the tool itself. If you put something in place that you know people are going to react towards it in a certain way, and they do, that's not a surprise. That's an expected result. So there's certain things that are going to unfold in this abolitionist movement, whether we try to make it happen that way or not. It's just a part of the process. You know what I mean? So this could be that. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade do it. I'm doing it every year. Like I said, I'll be a participant indeed because I've been doing it for 10 years now. So you can use some of the videos I have already made. But I guess my point is that there are things you can expect people to go through and do during a period like this. And if you know that in advance, you can prepare, prepare for those circumstances. And I'm thinking, okay, like most of the elders I have talked to, most of the That's elders it. who were in the Black Panther Party of old um, and, and you know those are the elders that I have worked with you know, through radio still there Scotty might be mute or maybe I am I was muted I was muted oh. I'm sorry um, what I was saying is I'm going to choose to look at look at those past runs as trial runs okay and now I'm getting images of my mind of where I do remember one Christmas that some of the brothers and sisters weren't trying to get the masses to participate. What they was doing was making it so the masses couldn't get to the store. Now, we don't want to talk about that on air. You know what I'm saying? But when I, I've I heard that story before too, yep. Yeah, when I talk to the Same elders... Same thing to do to voters. When I talk to the elders, they say... 
you know, usually most successful revolutions only require 5% of the people. The rest of the people didn't even participate. You know what I'm saying? You know and I'm, I'm saying? not talking about doing anything violent, okay? I'm not calling for any violence, but I'm talking about uh, cap- capitalism being canceled. So if we could get, what's 5% of 300 million, what would that be? What, about what, 3 million maybe? Well, a lot of that, some million? of that is, is children and, you know, infants and things like that. So right, uh, right. 5% of the population would probably be close to, make it about 280 million after children or something. And I'm just guessing. So 5% of 280 million. Okay. 5% of 200 and 80 million so we're, we're really not probably not let me pull up my calculator right quick but do, do you I'm get what guessing, I'm saying but it's probably lower do, than that do you get what I'm saying yes sir yes yes if you can reach that many mm-hmm. and our reach is growing every single day right right mm-hmm. so I, I'm just man I'm just tired of slavery man and <laughs> I'm tired of people talking about side issues and uh, participating in theater on television and arguing amongst themselves and nobody being on the same page and nobody talking about ending slavery. I'm just tired of it, man. I'm tired of it, Max. We got to do something. I, I'm You're right, Scott. Man, I'm tired, Max. I'm really, really... You just don't know how tired and frustrated I am, man. I'm really tired. So that would be 14 million people. Okay. I say we could do it with less than that. That's you know when I, we first started the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington and we start, first started supporting and promoting it, uh, I used to tell people and it's still true that if you just had two family members representing every person that is uh, incarcerated or on probation and parole in the United States right now, you've had something like twenty four million people in the streets of Washington D.C. and it would shut it down. Mm-hmm. All people who have something in common. Right. Right. So, but I'm just, man, I'm just kind of energized right now. You know, I have my highs and my lows, and I'm on a high right now. And I just feel encouraged for the future because the message is spreading, Max. Just the very fact that on August the 19th will be the first large-scale abolitionist meeting since before 1865. I I mean, Max, when we started five years ago, man, there were no political candidates, talking about abolitionism mostly everybody we knew uh, was not aware of the 13th amendment so I mean thinking about just where I became aware five years ago and where we are now and just how abolitionism seems to be resonating I'm very very encouraged yes with everybody I think that uh, the candidate for governor in Alabama Stacey George was kind of surprised to realize how important it is to people in this nation uh, about their family members being incarcerated at such high rates and then being subject to inhumane treatment while behind bars uh, to degrees where we're comparing it to what was going on during chattel slavery in the 1800s, including the rapes and the abuses and the uh, gladiator fights and the murders and, and, and the drug gangs and everything that you could think of in 1862 is happening in some of these prisons right now. You know, you mentioned, Scotty, one of the 
things that really irks you right now is that people are not putting this as a priority. And I know some of the reasons that are behind that occurring. Uh, one of them in particular is we always seem to have people out there denying what we're saying is true without any kind of research whatsoever, just coming out their behinds with statistics and things like that. And it's real hard for us to stand here and say, hey, there's slavery going on. There's a genocide going on. There's massive oppression going on. Here are the people that are subject to it, and this is what's happening to them. Here's all the proof in the world. And then somebody from the back jumps up and goes, we all right. I'm doing just fine. I don't know what he's talking about, but over here where I'm at, I got a nice car, nice job, nice wife, nice kids, and I got a nice life. How can you, you know, so it's very confusing. And then with the white-run media, they are in complete denial. That's like their main thing now is like, you were wrong. This is not really happening. And because you're pretending and lie, what do they call them? Black Lives Matter. Because you're Black Lives Matter terrorist group, then you're only trying to create a race war and you're the ones that's wrong. None are, of that are, stuff you're talking about is happening to you. Are they in denial or are they in cahoots? Somebody had to work in the house. Are they in denial or are they part of the conspiracy? I'm talking about the mainstream media. Um, I believe that they are part of conspiracy. And I got a video proving it. Okay. Video from years ago, not years ago, when they were talking about the upcoming 150th anniversary of the ratification and passage of the 13th Amendment. There were all these articles coming out. And this is what those articles would say about the 13th Amendment. Uh, slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished. Dot, 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 dot. What happened to the rest of the words, man? I mean, do you not remember that video I made showing all those yes. articles where they just yes. cut it off? I remember we discussed it because I had saw the video as well of the curator for the 13th Amendment do a presentation on YouTube to show people on the anniversary of the emancipation, the 13th Amendment itself. And when he did it, he conveniently omitted that entire section about except for prisoners duly convicted and then went on to the rest of it. I remember that. It was just so obvious. I remember that. And I remember saying, because I saw the video too, and I said... Now, how you so proud of the 13th Amendment and you have in the, and Barack Obama was there, a constitutional lawyer, and you're going to have invite all of these congressmen and senators and other distinguished guests. And you're going to have this great big meet and greet gathering celebrating the passage of the 13th Amendment but you don't even got a copy of the 13th Amendment on a big poster board anywhere for anybody to read it. And like you said, that man read it and he did not read it all. It's a shame too because all the freedoms that we right now claim to exercise in this country as black people, African Americans, or minorities of any sort all hinge upon the 47 words of the 13th Amendment Without it, we would not have the freedoms that we do exercise right now. And so few people even have bothered to read that. Like, you don't think your freedom can disappear at any moment one day. When it happens to you individually, you wake up really quick. 
You know, when you're like Sandra Bland driving along, la 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 la, la all of a sudden, look what goes next: racial uh, profiling, abuse, sexism, um, civil rights violations, and then thrown into a jail where you can't afford the bail, and you got to beg your family for five thousand dollars for something you didn't even do that you're the victim of and then you end up dead and someone says hey, oh i think she hanged herself with a plastic bag that's how it works in this country man and for people not to understand how these things are connected and and and, and all part of one single system that hinges on slavery and human trafficking is hard to to comprehend but as I said, I do know some of the things that are preventing them from really standing out. You know, a lot of people don't have that kind of courage to just speak up about anything, about anything. Well, I want to speak up right now on I was so disgusted over the past couple of days. Max, listeners, I must have seen at least three or four videos or stories of extreme police violence. The one that troubled me the most was that homeless black woman in that convenience store. And that man had, I don't know if it was a wooden or metal baton, but that man was beating that woman with all his might. He was just wailing away on her, man. She on her back on the floor in a defensive position. You mean to tell me, Mr. Brave Police Officer, Okay, you're probably on steroids, but you've been working out and all this and that. And I don't know what that woman did or was accused of doing, but it did not deserve that. It did not warrant that. And if I'd have been in that store, I'm not going to say, well, I can't say on air. Well, I might have done because that just really angered me. Then I hear about another young sister walking with her book bag. They want to look in her book bag. And she like, uh, thinking about the Fourth Amendment, I guess, about searches and seizures. And she asked them, do you have a warrant? And they jack her up. And what was their excuse? Oh, she fit a description of a male that they claimed they were looking for. But they arrested her and threw her, threw her and brutalized her. I saw her on crutches. It was some other stories I heard about cops getting let go after you didn't shot this this dude in the back of the head. Um, here in North Carolina was a story where this cop, uh, this state trooper, then shot this man twice in the back, and then they said he had another case where he shot somebody in the back. So he likes shooting people in the back. I'm so angry, man, and I put it out there on Twitter. You mean to tell me, you, you you know, you're telling me that the reason these cops getting killed like that one got shot in the head in New York recently, you mean to tell me uh, that this isn't connected to all of this brutality that people are seeing? Every, I mean, man, I was so upset. You know, I don't mean upset in my emotions, but angry, angry that I'm seeing this and it was like video after video after story after story after video after video after story after story and all I can hear these representatives talking about is some Russia meddling in emails like you mentioned Max all of these shootings all of these murders I'm, I'm angry Max 
I'm angry. And I was saying, you know, ain't no such thing as no good cop. Ain't no such thing as no good cop. Because you don't turn them in. You don't turn the ones you say is bad apples. You don't turn them in. You have their backs. You don't serve and protect the public, which we know the Supreme Court said your job is to enforce law. What law are they talking about? Well, the Supreme Law is the 13th Amendment. So Congress had the power to pass other laws that will, if you are accused and convicted of violating them, whether they're victimless crimes or whatever, then you go into slavery. That's what the Supreme Court said their job is, not to serve and protect. And then I was thinking, you know how they say in certain different things you might doing, uh, might be doing whatever profession profession it is that you're doing, whether you're an artist whether you are athlete, whatever, you're a teacher, they always say the cream rises to the top. But that's the exact opposite of these slave catchers. I'm sorry, man. I ain't mean to go on that rant. So we do need to get into some of our stories. We are hitting the 30-minute mark, but I'm just here to tell you. I tried to be diplomatic and what have you, but look, these people are not being held accountable. And I'm thinking about, you know, what will we be speaking about Saturday? Where we're going to support these women, this woman's rally that's in solidarity with the one that's occurring in Vic, in Virginia calling out the NRA video, which call which which is calling out the modern day slave patrols to put down rebellions and what have you. So I'm tired of, no, it ain't no good cops. The only good cops I've seen are the ones who got ran out the police force because they tried to do the right thing. They, in Oregon, when that cop said, you know what, chief, you shouldn't be picking at this black woman and making monkey sounds and, and dehumanizing her like this. I'm turning you in. The chief gets fired. What did they do? The, the entire town turned against this good cop, even ran his wife off the road. I'm thinking about the one in Baltimore. I can't remember his name. Might be Joe Glass or something like that, who saw these two cops beating a handcuffed suspect. And he said, you know what? That ain't right. I'm reporting these guys. And he reported them. And what happened to him? They started targeting him leaving rats on his car on his windshield when he used his vehicle like he had always done to go pick up his wife oh they gonna try to charge him with with stealing and theft and misusing government property they you know what i'm saying uh what about the ones in new york who went on television and said that you're the predators no we're the predators and you're the prey and they're forcing us to do these things, to meet these quotas. Those are the only good cops I've seen. And I can count those on one hand. Well, maybe maybe it, on, on 20 fingers, maybe less than 20 that I have known of throughout the years I've been doing New Abolitionist Radio. So no, you're not good cops. You're bad cops. That's all, Max. Uh, we got a caller. Uh. It, Eric Cole, 616, thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Did you have a question or comment for us today? 
Hey, this is Brother Davis, man. I got a comment, man. I mean, Scotty, listen, we understand, brother. We, if nobody else understands, we understand. But I do want to highlight this new NRA commercial that literally targets black people and literally gives, acts as a cheerleader for cops in order to go out and be destructive and how they deal with us. And you have no white voices that are saying anything about this when literally this commercial endpoints uh, puts the target of destruction on us as a people. And I wanted to add that because I do think that as we move forward, we got to understand that that's exactly what they're doing. This is a larger program, brother. I believe that this is the incorporation of every government agency. And I think this is also a, a one of the phases of eugenics that's going on right here in the United States. And we cannot take this war lightly. So, yeah, I understand your anger, brother. I understand your anger. I just wanted to put that out there, man. Thank you for the opportunity, brother. Peace. All right. Thank you, bro brother Davis. Yeah, I mean, it's a righteous anger. I feel the same anger that the colonists felt in Boston when the British soldiers beat up a teenager and brutalized him and... That led to the Boston Massacre, which led to the American Revolution, which was then hijacked by the racist slavers. Okay, so um, let me see. Uh, we got Otis on the line. Uh, Max, Otis, hold on a second. Max seemed to be having technical issues. Max, do we got you back, bro? Yes, sir. I had uh, my router decided to reboot itself oh okay that happens sometimes man uh yeah that happens sometimes when uh they don't want you participating that's happened to me a couple of times so we do have a call from otis before we start jumping into our stories otis did you have a question or comment for us and thanks for uh chiming in brother oh yes brother i was gonna just chime in i keep it short the brother that just finished speaking alex jones is the only white person that uh, with the uh, info wars, I saw Max put it up earlier. He's the only white person chiming in, talking about how great that NRA uh, video is. So, so, and and then he look at something else. All of this, I'm from Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, that have had the latest protest. The cops are taking care of protecting the KKK members. The Nazi people, they're right, not doing it. As a matter of fact, the people who get locked up are the protesters, the peaceful ones that come too close to the barricades where they're protecting the Nazis. Same thing in Charlottesville, Virginia. So there's no question of who has the right to protection by police forces in America. And I love your work. I'm listening in. All right. They uh, did the same thing here in South Carolina as well. Well, we uh, were there for. Max, yes. if I could, I, I, for, we were invited by white people to come to this rally in Rock Hill, so I just want to say that. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I don't, I don't make, I don't judge my enemy by the color of their skin. You can be, best believe that. It's usually by the content of their character, and I must admit, I do have a much higher bar of achieving trust with people who. Uh, deem themselves white people right but I'll go to anywhere I'm invited to speak about abolitionists I will sow those seeds yes, you know what I'm saying 
Uh, so yeah, I accept it. I'm, I'll be happy to be there to whoever will listen. If you classify yourself as white, if you identify as white, uh, use your whiteness to end slavery. Be- become the modern yeah, John Browns and his sons. I, Otis, I, yeah, I didn't want to imply that it was just white people. I'm talking about the mindset of the white people yes. that are getting protected. So please don't take it as saying white people. Oh, okay, I misunderstood. I want to give a shout out to our brother Johanan, who just came out with the Modern Abolitionist Handbook, and he's trying to, you know, raise funds to get this out there. And it includes a lot of things that you need to know, uh, like Chapter One, the Thirteenth Amendment exception; Chapter Two, the inhumanity of slave wages; Chapter Three, how prison slave labor destroys private sector jobs; uh, Four, for-profit prisons create a demand for more slaves. He goes up to ten chapters, ending with America's constitutional crisis, the ninety-seven percent plea-driven conviction rate. So you definitely want to support Johanan in its efforts to get this book out there for the abolitionists to have that available to them. That information is crucial. Well, you know how time always flies when we doing when we talking about abolitionism on this program. I wish we could do uh, three hours, but that's not possible. Uh, yeah, but Max, you want to jump into some of these stories, bro? Yes. Let me ask your advice first, because maybe I've got it wrong. But I try to keep my hand or my finger on the pulse of the movement, and I try to see things in a much larger perspective, as well as look at the details where I can. And I see us mirroring the movements of the 1800s, where the abolitionist movement was eventually demonized to the point where it was even illegal to speak about abolition in particular places much like what we see now with protesters being criminalized, where even the act of protesting is now uh, deemed criminal. So I see that, and I hear words that come out of the mouths of people like Alex Jones. And I know a lot of people just like, you know, Alex Jones. Who cares what Alex Jones speaks? But when Alex Jones and other people like him talk, they represent the thoughts and ideas of many, many millions in this country. There's 320 million people in this country. 77% of them are non-Hispanic whites. 77%. That's a lot of millions, and a lot of them follow people like this. And I, I you know, I, I did a little video, Scotty. It's exactly four minutes and 44 seconds long, which was not something I planned on. And in his own words, I think it's necessary that we as abolitionists hear what they think of us right now and what they're planning for us. And this was a video that was a response he made to the response made by Black Lives Matter about the NRA video. And both of us have produced material recently, video material about that particular subject. So should we play it and have a discussion about it or should we just not give any uh, let's play it. Let, let's play like it. Him. Let's let's play it. Let's play it. And I've been trying to warn people about Alex Jones for years. Um, I actually used to be a customer of Alex Jones uh, when I got my first computer in 1999. I always again using. Well, at that time I was teaching myself how to build websites and stuff, but I would always seek out information. It was called. We used to refer to it back then as the Information Highway. And Alex Jones was like one of those people that was exposing government corruption and, and, and you just wasn't getting that kind of analysis. And it wasn't just him. 
it was a, a lot of other writers yeah. and, and they would bring stuff to your attention. I was paying this guy $60 a year. I had I had a subscription. It was called prisonplanet.org at the time. I I only had a one-year subscription, though. That, that first year, I got it in 1999. I had it for a year. And I was like, man, this dude is really opening up my eyes. That book, Order Out of Chaos by uh, Paul Joseph Watson, who's from the U.K., Oh man, it just really opened up your eyes and it's telling a lot of truth. But those people are racist. I discovered that. That's how long I've been knowing about Alex Jones since 1999. And and now he got that racist Paul uh Joseph Watson. He been demonizing Black Lives Matter for a very long time. He's the one that manages Prison Planet's Twitter account. And I will get mad. I'll be like, "What is KRS-One doing on there?" What is Professor Griff doing on there? Y'all mm-hmm. supposed to be conscious. Y'all don't know this dude is a racist. It should give you a clue. And I and, and then again, I wasn't totally in the consciousness or as conscious. I don't even want to use that word conscious. What does that really mean? I wasn't aware of some of the things that I'm aware of now. Back then, you know, I didn't think twice of a person praising Thomas Jefferson or George Washington or or all of that because I wasn't an abolitionist back then. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, yeah. that was just a long time ago and and what have you. And, and you know, so, hey, I, I'm these white people, and so that's their heroes. And I ain't think nothing of it. But now I'm like, no, you got to be an evil I was about to say a cuss word, but you got to be an evil person where your heroes are evil. So, mm. Alex Jones, man, uh, this guy is an enemy of freedom who pretends to be a patriot. And he's a mm. racist. He's a racist. How you going to talk about this a prison planet and the authorities and the government is trying to take away people's freedoms and stuff? See, I didn't, that's how he used to talk. Or he's probably still talked that way. But it took me a couple of years to figure out he's talking about white people's freedom. He ain't talking yeah. about us. With that being said, let's go ahead and play it and hear what he has to say about this uh, recent You're profane. You're profane. What he and you're not meant to pass the gate. It's very sad. I understand you've been told by the corporate media you're going to get ahead. If you could pull down the middle class, you'll get some booty. You'll get some goodies. You'll get some spoils. You'll get some loot. You're not going to get it. They didn't get it in Venezuela. They didn't get it in Russia. They didn't get it in North Korea. They didn't get it in China. You don't get it. Limited free market is what has developed untold wealth. True free market will take us to the stars and beyond. But you don't understand that. They don't want you to know there's unlimited resources in the human mind. We've already come 95% of the way we need to go to life extension out to a point where we're technically immortal. We, we, we are already there. We're at the threshold and are facing the globalists. And once they're out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's unlimited what we're about to have. But of course, they're teaching us all to hate each other and kill each other and act like fools. And a lot of you aren't going to win and you're not going to transcend because you have bought into this either as a globalist or as a minion. Either selfishly as a globalist or selfishly as a minion. You're profane. You're profane. You're profane. And you're not meant to pass the gate. It's very sad. Okay, let's lay out the facts to these useful idiots. Let's look at these useful morons on screen for TV viewers. 
The number one cause of death for black people in this country is abortion. 51% are killed by abortion. Okay, that's number one. I fight that. Not because I'm some white knight, but because I realize all our lives are connected and I realize it's wrong. Even if a lot of black folks are, have chips put on their shoulders and are weaponized against me and filled full of racist crap, I still take the high road because I'm on the high road. Now let's expand. And then these folks right here are funded by hardcore globalists that funded the Arab Spring, that funded uh, all these other big events, the overthrow of Ukraine, these civil wars, trying to start one where blacks are the trigger for it and then the scapegoat for it, for the civil war. You're profane. You're profane. And you're not meant to pass the gate. It's very sad. You can look at the numbers. There you go. Blacks killed by whites. You can see the numbers right there. Super low. Whites killed by blacks. We're talking basically 15, 20 times, depending on the jurisdiction, higher. You got 50. Blacks killed by whites. You got 450. Whites killed by blacks. That's U.S. News and World Report. Not the statistic I was looking for. I'm just going from memory. But we'll find it during the break and come back because I, I just thought of this as we were showing the video because I've gone over. Everybody knows these numbers. I mean, we're talking hundred and something blacks shot and killed by cops every year. Most of the time, it's actually black officers doing it because to stop all the race stuff, they mainly put black officers in the black areas now. So you got a hundred and something blacks being killed. Some of them innocent, it's wrong. You've got thousands of blacks killed in Chicago every year by blacks didn't even on the radar screen. You got most of the blacks never getting born being killed by the globalists, by the liberals, by the abortionaries. You're profane. And you're not meant to pass the gate. It's very sad. Uh, then you've got the gangster black culture rap music that pushes blacks to act like thugs and everybody else. So they're inducted into the prison system so that the schools do become pipelines into prison. That's one of the only true things that the, that ignorant woman said. But again, now that they're going to try to get blacks to act more racist, act more violent, and Black Lives Matter groups are going to push killing cops, which are totally innocent getting shot in the back of the head like this poor black cop got executed last week in uh, New York, and then the mayor wouldn't even go to her funeral or memorial. Went and helped run the riots uh, over in Germany, which CNN said weren't riots. They're trying to start a revolution. Black Lives Matter is the most idiotic moron group and is now bordering on terrorism and is being sued for it. So good luck, idiots. You're profane. You're, profane. you're profane, and you're not meant to pass the gate. It's very sad. They think I'm against a race war because I'm scared I'm going to get killed. No, it's the opposite. I'm scared you're going to get killed. I've got security. I've got firearms. I live defended behind a gate, behind walls. If there's a race war in this country, it's going to be the minorities that share the main brunt of the slaughterhouse. And that's not a threat. That's a fact. That's a fact. You have it. That is him promising minorities will be slaughtered and him explaining away how these black faces, children, women, talking about their rights are nothing but terrorists, ignorant women, and useful idiots useful morons and they're funded by billionaires and globalists and, and elitists and he is going to save the world because we're trying to start a revolution yeah yeah but um <laughs> lots of infectually uh, inf information that wasn't correct 
Um, the there was a report that just came out from the federal government that abortions and teen pregnant not abortions teen pregnancies are at an all time low since they've been keeping the statistics. Okay, and if anybody's having a lot of uh, abortions and are in danger of becoming extinct, that's white people. I've heard people like Alex Jones, not him specifically, but people of his ilk, beg white women to stop putting off baby and babies and have more white children because they'll be extinct in twenty to thirty years. That's why they don't. That's that's why they don't like interracial marriages and stuff because they know the African gene is dominant and it wipes it'll wipe them out. Okay, so he's giving a lot of incorrect information. What you know, abortion, all of that. Look, he ain't talking about who's in charge, though, is he? Who's in charge of the gangster culture, Alex Jones? Who created that gangster culture? Black people don't run the music industry. Black people don't control these radio stations that's targeting them with programming. Okay. And so then he starts giving, and these are the things that have been debunked by plenty of people about black on white crime. It's more black people killing white people than, you know, all, all, that, all of that ain't nothing but propaganda. Why do you even got to couch it in racial language? Well, because you a racist. That's why. You want to divide people. Uh, how about desperate people sometimes in desperate situations cr- create crime and uh, they commit crime and sometimes they're violent acts. Okay. Um, now, in turn, what did he say? About a hundred people, black people get shot by cops. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah, and it, he was proven wrong while on his own show in his own words because he pulled up a Washington Post article that quoted it four times higher than what he just said. Exactly. Said, oh, I'll find the but, information later. But, but if he was so concerned about this being a prison planet, he wouldn't even couch it in racist language. He would say over a thousand, I think the average right now is about 1,200 Americans are being killed. 1,200 Americans a year are being killed by cops. Check the, the statistics over there at killed by police. And guess who get killed the most? Now, I don't know if it's because they're more criminal than anybody else. I don't know if it's because they're more violent than anybody else. I haven't done the research to break it down like that. But it is a fact, people, that white men are the the number one group killed by cops. Okay. Alex Jones, why are these white men getting killed by cops? Is it because they can't follow the law? Is it because they thugs? Is it because they criminals? What's going on? We know a lot of them listen to that gangster rap. They the ones that's keeping the genre alive. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, yeah. like, I just heard Paul Porter talking about that. In the industry, they say after the first 700,000 copies of an album or 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 you know, whatever they call it, CDs now, mostly everything's digital, but let's call it an album. After the first 700,000 of these rap albums to get sold, the rest is all white people. Okay? Got it. Yeah. You mentioned about more white people being killed by cops than anybody else. Well, no, I said white men. Look, yes. But when you represent 77 points, 77.4% max, of max, the max. entire population, I, I want... you're supposed to be the one having the most of everything. Like, you should be the most robbed, the most millionaires, 
the most babies, everything, because you represent a huge chunk. But of wait a minute, though. Wait a minute, though. But I'm saying, why they being killed by cops, though? Are they more criminal than everybody else? I know that I know that we're that black folks, non-white folks, is disproportionately killed. But see, I'm not gonna play that game. I'm not gonna play that game. Okay, people are getting killed. Plenty of innocent people. I don't hear. I don't hear Alex Jones. Did Alex Jones? Does he ever do any kind of features on people like Zach Hammond down there in South Carolina, who was shot in the back by a white cop? That's white on white crime. You know what I'm saying? I don't hear them using these type of this type of language. I'm. You know, it's. I don't agree with everything Mr. Neely Fuller says, but he. I believe he's correct. He said that whenever you mention the R word and you start getting into the black and versus white stuff that the conversation goes nowhere it's just allegations and accusations being thrown at each other no I'm killed the most you killed the most y'all the biggest criminals no you the biggest criminals you know it it goes he said can you use language to describe what you're talking about without using the R word so I'm flipping the script on them. Remember how they used to tell us, oh, yo, what's up with all these hyphenated Americans? What's up with the African American and the Asian American and the, the Irish American? We're all Americans. Well, I don't hear Alex Jones when they talk about police brutality and violence talking about Americans being killed. Okay? No, he wants to talk about blacks being killed and then he wants to victim blame those who are being killed. So I'm not going to get in that argument with them. I'm going to talk about Americans being killed. And then, you know, he want to talk about, again, this man is a propagandist and he's a liar. He's saying it's mostly black cops that's doing, that's killing black people. I'm not seeing a whole bunch of videos. I haven't seen it. You know, I know of one case where some black cops killed some white people that was in a truck and they shot into it. It was totally unjustified. But guess what? They got convicted and they got sentenced to prison. They didn't get no walking papers, Alex Jones, okay? Didn't no jury of their peers uh, let them go, okay? So, I, I, Max, that's just where I'm going. That's where I, that's, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to, how to talk or anything like that. I'm not going to let them bog me down in racial terms. I know that it's racism, but if I'm talking to them, if I'm, they want to talk about it, no, dog, we're talking about Americans being killed. Why are all these Americans being killed by all these cops? Why is it that more Americans are killed every year than, than any other country on the face of the planet? What is it about America that there's so much violence? Oh, you got cops all over the planet. No, they're not killing their citizens like American uh, cops are killing their citizens. So do you understand where I'm coming from? I'm not trying to tell you how to talk, Max, or anybody else out there. But I think what what Mr. Fuller says makes a lot of sense on that regard. Because as soon as we go up in a meeting or whatnot, and there's people on the other side who want to dispute what we're saying. They're just waiting on us to interject race into it. No, I'm going to catch them off guard, and I'm going to talk about Americans being killed. Tell me why we live, you say we live in the most free country on the face of the planet, but yet it has the largest prison population on the planet. Tell me that. It's a, you know, tell me that, Alex Jones. 
I don't hear you talking about it in those terms. What I hear you doing is engaging in a whole bunch of racist propaganda and victim blaming the victims. But I thought we I thought y'all wanted us to all just be Americans. All right? So this dude is a liar. This dude's a liar. Max, you are correct. He is very dangerous because we got he has a lot of and I don't mean the name call. I'm just repeating what he said. Okay? I'm repeating what he said. He has a lot of useful idiots who don't do any research, who don't ask any questions. Okay? All they want all they want to do is hear what they want to hear. I mean, they've been using racist propaganda for a long time. How is it that you think that most white people prior to 1865 down here in the south did not own any slaves and their wages were being depressed by slavery and they begging rich wealthy people to hunt on their land or to let them have a little piece of something or give them a job but then you ain't benefiting from it like these rich one percenters of the time but you was willing to put on that gray uniform and go give your life to maintain slavery? How did they do that, Max? Racist propagandists just like Alex Jones. And then he want to talk about the main... They, they good at talking about the mainstream media, the mainstream media. Dude, the mainstream media is what blew you up. That's why they bring you on. That's why you been on CNN. If they so corrupt, why do you go on these programs? That's why I put out publicly... Uh, KRS-One brother man why you on that racist show why you letting that racist use you like you like you you know in solidarity and he in solidarity with our struggle he ain't in solidarity he using you as a prop Professor Griff you was on there too and I said these things publicly I don't see him on there no more so that that's that's all I'm saying man is I, I'm just tired. I'm tired of the killing. I don't want to see anybody kill. I don't care what color you are. Like like Malcolm X said, you know, I mean, justice. Even Mr. Fuller talks about it, even though people don't like to talk about when he says, you know, we want, you know, these are the c- colors of the creators. You know, like 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 the Bible says, don't, don't call nothing that God made bad, all right? Because... I can point you to a whole bunch of non-white people sitting on the boards of these private prison companies. We saw down there in South Carolina when when Michael Slager, the white cop, killed um, what's his name? Who did he kill? Walter Scott. Yeah. Yes. When he shot Walter Scott on the back and he was planting his taser, who was standing right next to him? Who was the one who filed a false police report backing up Slager's lies? Cause they didn't know it was a video, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get dragged into to you know the race war. No, I, I no. If there's gonna be another civil war, you know what? I, I hope it's a bunch of abolitionists versus a bunch of slavers. I'm sorry, Max. I talked too much, man. We up to the break. Yeah, let's take the break, and when we come back, I'll give my thoughts on the video as well. You know, I thought about it a lot when he was saying. So you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And passion is always included. We'll be right back.
Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, Scotty, were you finished? Or yeah, man, I? I, I'm, I'm finished. I think we had another caller, but they dropped off the board. Please give us a call back, 866-510-9025. Hit star, star, um, if you would like to comment. Um, yeah, I, I'm finished, Max, but I'm just tired of the mind games that's being played on us, man. Racism is a tool to support slavery, Okay. And they use that to divide people. How about like Mr. Ju- Mr. Fuller say, let's work on implementing a sy- system of justice. Okay. Well, um, I, I hear where you're coming from, but I also recognize that some problems can't be ignored away. And this guy represents those who are providing a narrative for others to follow. And it's a very simple narrative. It's as basic as they can possibly get. Blacks are criminal by nature. Um, that uh, they deserve what they get. That what they're talking about is bullshit. And excuse my language, but they're lying. And we're not doing any of that. And we're all good people. And they're bad people. And even going as far as calling us terrorists now for protesting, protesting for our rights. And they put out these narratives like black on black crime, like mass incarceration they point to instances like Chicago talking about how thousands of people are dying there and there's no one saying anything about that well let me point this out to you in these instances where the cities are rife with gangs and crime and drugs and guns and violence and cops and black sites like Chicago has where torture is going on where lawsuits are being paid because of the torture going on and the cops are so corrupt that they're being prosecuted and sent to prison. Well, we know that in those situations like that, that the narrative that you're providing is not the truth. As a matter of fact, they said white uh, black on black crime, and you mentioned white on white crime. Well, white on white crime is big pharma selling opioids to U.S. citizens that kill thousands every year. Now, listen to this. To understand just how bad the opioid epidemic has gotten, consider these statistics. Drug overdoses in 2015 were linked to more deaths than car crashes and guns. And in fact, killed more people than car crashes and gun homicides combined. So not just Chicago, but Chicago, New York, Newark, uh, Orlando, whatever the hell is a gun killing somebody. Opioids killed more people than all of them and car crashes combined. But I guess that don't count because they're what? White deaths, legal drugs. And don't give me any crap about opioids killing people everywhere. 80% of the global opioid supply is consumed right here in the United States. Pain drugs are the second largest pharmaceutical uh, class globally after cancer medicines. There were just in this country last year, there were 300 million pain prescriptions, actually, in 2015. That's damn near as many people are, as there is in the country, counting men, women, and children. $24 billion is shared amongst U.S. corporations and big pharma. And I guess because it's a white-collar killing, then it don't count as death or crime. So you point to Chicago and say, look at all these Negroes killing each other with guns. And we can't point to you and say, look at all these white people killing each other with drugs. It's not the same thing. Dead is dead. If somebody's doing it on purpose and getting away with it, it's murder, right? 
Right. So that that is what I'm saying right here. He is providing a narrative. I live in the meth capital of North Carolina, Max. The meth hmm? cap. I live in the meth capital of North Carolina. That's not my words. That's Senator Tom Tillis and the Gaston County Police Chief. That North Carolina Gaston County is the meth capital of the world. And I don't. I hate those papers. But every time I look at the slammer, when I go to the convenience store, I see a whole bunch of white folks in that paper being accused of crimes and, and, and things of that nature. But I'm not gonna criminalize them. I'm gonna call them victims of the drug war. Yeah, that's what they are. They're victims. They're they're being killed as surely as if someone walked up to them and blew their brains out with a gun in hand. And the the people who are doing it are walking away scot free. Eighty percent of the opioids across the entire globe are consumed right here in the United States, provided to you legally by Big Pharma. But what about the illegal drugs, Max? Now I I, I know you saw that video of United States troops in Afghanistan. Uh, guarding the poppy fields and saying, hey, this is the only way these guys can make money. So we got to let them, you know, grow the opium uh, so that they can make the heroin and then sell it so they can feed their families. How is that different than any of these people in these depressed, economically depressed communities? I don't think anybody wants to do this stuff. It's that capitalism has forced them into it. That crap he was talking about, the free market, and there's enough for everybody. No, that's not That's not true, Alex Jones. That's not true. And, Max, we do got a call from, uh, let me see, I think that's 513. I don't want to uh, tell your location, but uh, area code 513, give Max a chance to, because uh, I, I keep buttoning in, but Max, finish up. So we. I just want to acknowledge the caller. No doubt. Uh, I, what I'm going to do is at, we'll take our caller, and after the caller, I want to transition into the origins of black-on-black crime because it's a fallacy that's being presented. You don't hear Chinese-on-Chinese crime. You don't hear white-on-white crime. You don't hear Jamaican-on-Jamaican crime. You don't hear Mexican-on-Mexican crime, but you hear black-on-black crime like it's the only version of it to ever have existed. And that alone should be a clue that there's something wrong with this type of narrative. Eric Cole, right. 513, thank you for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. If uh, you want to share your name, go ahead with your question or comment. Yeah, this is James, and uh, I, I want to say, first of all, thank both of you uh, for for educating me uh, and and freeing my mind, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I follow both of you, and uh, I, I can't tell you my... my for your efforts, what I do every single day is I engage someone every day, a stranger, anybody, and I talk to them about prison slavery. And and I, I'm reciting the facts, I'm reciting the things that I hear and that, that you guys educate me to. So I, I want you to know that's that's my that's my uh, my job and, and my job is, is is based on the things that you tell me. So just just to let y'all know, but but what I did want to share is, I, you know, there are rules of engagement in combat for our soldiers that are in Iraq, and and those rules of engagement they they are for, you know, they, they carry actually they carry cards. They're escalation of force cards, and and when a when a car is possibly carrying explosive barreling down on them, uh, they're taught to exhaust several steps of warnings before killing. 
hand signals, flags, pop smoke flares, warning shots to the sides, disabling shots, then kill shots. So, so, so this, this, this young man that wrote this is saying, for the life of me, I can't figure out why the streets in the United States of America, police officers go immediately to murder and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're killing people and people are sitting back saying, well, it was in the heat of the moment. You know, like, you, you have to understand, you know, our, our soldiers are, are being, are being taught restraint, but the people within our own country who aren't in a war situation are, are, are going well beyond that and it, it's just frustrating you know and it, again i you know it it just it it's got to end somewhere and and i want i want you to know that it, it is having an impact i i in fact i in fact talk to everybody whether they be white black brown chinese it doesn't matter like i say i engage strangers every single day and i try to fill them in and and i got to tell you guys they're receptive to it they're starting to understand the logic, and you know, there, there's a, a Scotty. Your point being about the South back in the Civil War days, where where they were discussing, you know, how could I do something to go to war to kill almost a million people? That's going to take food out of my mouth, and it, you know, it, it, it goes to the education, and and, and the, it, it's just all out there, and and we got to get the word out, and I appreciate you guys doing it. Thank you, James. I applaud you, brother, indeed, because uh, you are an example of what needs to be done. Like, it needs to be a, an important thing in your life. To, you can have all the conversations in the world about all the things you used to conversate about, but you got to include this in there some, at some point because it makes a difference, and, not only to you, but to people around you. But what he, what really, and see again, what did I say for a call in? Why I was encouraged? Because people are receptive. And so he's saying he's talking to complete strangers and he's telling them about prison slavery and they're understanding the logic. They're understanding and they're receptive to the abolitionist message. Right, right. It's, they're all very simple narratives. The side against us are simple narratives. Our side is a simple narrative. Put them next to each other and see what you see. One is a truth and the other is a lie. It's really just that simple. Either the 13th Amendment abolished slavery or it didn't. How is there an in-between on that? There, so There is none. They use, there, there, there's no in-between. It either did or it didn't. And if it didn't, then what happened? Is it still being used? Is it still being exploited? Is there still slavery? And that's what the point where you look around and you start counting heads. You start counting prisons. You start counting budgets. And you start recognizing that this is the 21st century example of chattel slavery. I mean, all evidence points to that. And that's why... When I came across, well, actually, I want, ah, I can't remember her name right now, but somebody on social media said, Scotty, will you please write this historian and tell her slavery was never abolished? And that that's the professor, the African-American professor who has this book. Max uh, Otis posted it in the chat room. I think you pronounce her name Diana or Deanna uh, Berry, Ramey Berry. She is the uh, she's a writer, editor, historian of the enslaved. The name of the book is The Price for Their Pound of Flesh. And I read an article that she had wrote that was published on 
What's the name of that magazine? It's not a magazine. Online magazine is what I mean. The Slate. And she had four myths about slavery. I got to say because I'm going to make a video about it. She wrote four myths about slavery. And she mentioned the fact she wants, that I can remember. She said most white people didn't own slaves. And that's true. And there's a book out. I got to find the um, uh, the name of the book and the author because I can't remember. But it's a white guy. I think he's here in North Carolina who said they use propaganda to get those poor whites who's, who, who were poor, man. These were dirt poor people, man. I mean, you talk about today how they talk about illegal a, uh, aliens hurt American wages. Well, what do you think the institution of slavery was doing to their wages? But you're going to go fight and give your life and die. How did they convince them to do that? Through racist propaganda, through the newspapers of their day. That's how they did it. Okay. This is why I'm so wary, Scotty, of the propaganda that's being put out in. So we could take it in, put it in perspective based on what's happening within the movement itself. Because, you know, we're gaining this traction and we're scaring the hell out of some of these people. Like they just had a governor recently told the Democratic Party, don't go too far to the left. Because what they're talking about basically is careful of bringing out the issue of these for-profit prisons. We almost lost them once. You know right, what I mean? This right. is the engine that drives America, and you could destroy everything by going too far left. But but getting back to what James was saying about the education, but this is a, this is a woman who's teaching African-American history, who calls herself the historian of the enslaved, and nowhere in that article of the four myths that people believe about slavery did she put that they believe slavery was abolished. That's a myth. Nowhere in there. So, PhDs, doctorates, degrees don't mean nothing. They don't mean nothing to me. Either she ain't never read the 13th Amendment, which would be a shame, given its prominence so-called in, in so-called freeing the slaves, or or she's part of the propaganda to deceive people. I don't know. She gonna have to answer the for which. Which is it? So I don't put a lot of I, I just I can't man. I can, I just can't all these educated people. Man, I don't have a doctorate. I don't have a PhD. I never took an African American studies class in college. So how how is it that I'm aware of these things and so many other people who don't have degrees are aware of these things but the smartest people we're told on the you know in in the in the best education system in the world they don't know something up something wrong with that Max There's something wrong with it and that's where we're coming in uh providing an alternative narrative uh contrary to popular belief where they tell you there are only two solutions to this, what is it, seven and a half million people a year in custody. The only two solutions to that is reform or no reform. Pick one. And that itself is a fallacy because there is a third choice. And it's the third option that has always been there. It was written in our Declaration of Independence. It's the reason the 13th Amendment even got crafted to begin with, despite it being deceptive. They had to do something, and that is abolition. 
to abolish it. You abolish the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. You abolish for-profit private prisons and prison industries from working within the United States and all its territories. You reduce the number of police that we have and retrain them for other industries so they don't have jobs that are consistently dependent upon how many people are incarcerated. The same thing applies to these prison guards. They need to be able to do something else rather than depending on a 25-year, 100% occupancy contract with states for their prisons. So these are things that you can do with legislation. The Justice is Not for Sale Act of 2015, introduced by Bernie Sanders, is a perfect example of how these things can be accomplished. Without bloodshed, we can get these things done, and that is some of our intentions on August 19th at the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, D.C. Oh, don't so forget we're Keith coming Ellis. To give the truth. Keith mm-hmm. Ellis also introduced that bill. And what, what yes. did the Democratic Party do? But uh, Barack Obama and all the other, uh, I guess we'll call them party leaders, they did everything they could to sabotage uh, Keith Ellison from getting that DNC chair. Because they know he's an abolitionist. You know, to the right wing and the Christian extremist fundamentalists, I know it's hard for you to consider the idea that you might be wrong. Because, you know, you're never wrong. And that we might have an actual legitimate point and these things may be occurring to us. But besides that, what we really want as a people here in the United States is the same freedoms that you talk about every day. We don't want to be hunted in the streets. We don't want to have to worry about having to give the talk to our children about, you know, what might happen to them with any altercation with police, any interaction at all. Suddenly they have a chance of being murdered. We don't like having those talks. Don't want to have them. We want to have our communities where we can police our own communities because our communities are growing and vibrant and they have economies and we have jobs and we have schools and education and purposes in life. We just want the simple things and we want freedom. We don't want to be looking over our shoulders every time worrying about whether Popo's going to arrest me for smoking a joint if I got freaking cancer. Or because that's what I want to use my free will to do. Right. If you just want to buzz because, you know, 400 years of slavery, I need some kind of relaxation, you know. I'm just saying we want the simple things. And if you can't take that into consideration and then look at your own systems and read the 47 words of the 13th Amendment and just think critically for a minute, maybe you could come to the conclusion that other Republicans are coming to. Like Stacey George has realized the same thing. And he, uh, I, I see that he's starting a landslide from what I, I see with other people who are starting to agree with him. This is bipartisan. It's the truth. It's not a lie. It's not a narrative. It's the truth. Slavery never ended. The evolution looks like what we call mass incarceration today. But it's slavery. It's not mass incarceration. We don't want it right. to get and to that point where, you know, the, a majority of Americans are on a prison plantation slaving for the corporations and, and the governments. No, we don't want to get to get it to mass incarceration. No, this is slavery. It's that simple, man. That You know, uh, right. people use politically correct language. To me, that's politically correct language. No, speak real talk. It's slavery. Well, that's two of the things that I want to cover tonight before we close into our regular segments is those two 
words or descriptions mass incarceration black on black crime so mass incarceration i can keep that simple my own research i found out that mass incarceration as a thing a phrase to be said in popular lexicon didn't even exist until 2009 the first mention of it on twitter was in 2007 between 2007 and 2009 it was mentioned four times four freaking times and then in 2009 it suddenly gained popularity and became a uh, part of the the American lexicon, mass incarceration. It is a misnomer because it really doesn't describe mass incarceration. Mass incarceration, it literally would include a whole lot more uh, pale-faced people being in prison than we see right now. So there's disparities within the own, their own terminology. But that term didn't even exist until 2009 in the American lexicon. So not everybody's using it. We got organizations getting government funding to fight something that didn't freaking exist until 2009. Think yeah. about that. That's that reform language. We need to reform mass incarceration as opposed to ending slavery. Right, right. So that's a misnomer. Mass incarceration is not a thing. It's slavery. It's really just that simple. We're just avoiding trying to, and saying that because that type of conversation could lead to the end of America as we know it. It could. It has that much potential to destroy everything you know today and turn it on its head. It could lead to a civil war. The very civil war that Mr. Jones has sworn we will all die in. Yeah, I so just want to say to him, um, no, I ain't going to say that, Max. <laughs> Let me just put it this way. Anybody can be gotten to, so don't think you can get on your little microphone on your little YouTube show or whatever and issue these threats and, and think that you're going to be safe if, if something break, break out like that. And, you know, they don't think we know when they're talking about it. Well, when he starts saying things like, you know, you think you're going to get some booty or some loot and you're not going to get it. What they're talking about is reparations, the demand for reparations, the issues from the the, uh, the, the uh, United Nations saying that the United States owes reparations to African-Americans. The So many movements saying the same thing and all in agreement. That's what he's talking about as booty right there. You know, I, I say... I say, and we've had some activists on from in Cobra who are abolitionists and they're working to make abolition a part of that because I've had criticisms of them in the past. You're talking about it in past tense. You're asking for reparations for something that's not over. Okay? my, I, You know, I ain't never been a slave, but my little brother was 10 years a slave. My best friend from high school was going on 21 years a slave. So, I mean, it's a whole bunch of people who are modern-day slaves who I feel like are old reparations as well. But my thing is, don't put, well, how does that go? Don't put the cart before the horse. Right. Let's end right. slavery first, yes. and we'll sort that other stuff out later. It's so clear, Scotty. By accepting reparations, we are agreeing to the unwritten, then becoming fact that's at some point slavery ended so you don't owe anything after that right no that tab still running and it includes it includes a lot of different people well let's get on to the black on black crime and this is a lengthy article I'm just going to read some of it and give you some of the highlights of it 
You can read the rest at New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook, or you can join our own network. Uh, Scotty, what is the URL for our network? Um, it's community.blacktalkradionetwork.com or go to www.btrcommunity.com. btrcommunity.com, no doubt. Well, <coughs> excuse me, this comes from City Lab, and the title is The Origins of the Phrase Black on Black Crime. How the term got hijacked, politically loaded, and calcified into America's racial consciousness. The phrase black-on-black black crime gets tossed around so cavalierly that these days that it can be hard to ascertain the intention behind it, no matter who says it. When President Obama uses it, it may take on this tone of solidarity, especially when he's speaking at a black church or an HBCU. But thanks to social media, his voice carries. The words get copied and pasted into less generous agendas, sans the care of the original context. African-Americans often imply their inside voices when discussing the black-on-black crime issue within safe black discourse spaces. And that was in quotations. Some conservatives use it as a retort to or a deflation tool for Black Lives Matter, narratives aimed at shining a light on the police killings of African-Americans. Meanwhile, residents of black communities also use it, as they have for decades, to express concerns about safety in their neighborhoods. The African Americans in this latter group are often employed, employing their inside voices when invoking the black-on-black issue, meaning within safe black discourse spaces, and usually as a way of stirring black communities. How can one shape shift so abruptly and easily? Because it is a myth. Many writers, notably state, uh, Slate's, you mentioned Slate earlier, this is them again, Slate's Jamel Bowie and Natalie Hopkinson for The Root have done a tremendous service exposing the term as such. They correctly point out that what's referred to as black-on-black violence is really a byproduct of residential segregation and concentrated poverty. Black homicide offenders don't kill people because they have dark skin like a Klan member would. This may seem obvious, and yet the myth of black-on-black crime persists. Clearly, though, there's more work to be done on the use of this highly charged phrase. Understanding the term's origins helps further explain why it is so stubbornly entrenched in the public lexicon. In December of 1970, Chicago Daily Defender columnist Warner Sanders wrote about getting invited to speak at a seminar on -on black-on-black crime. To prep for the talk, he caught up with a neighborhood hustler named Fast Willie and asked him why he robbed and beat people up, beat up black people who are brothers. Willie's response was an early indication of what we need to know about the supposed black-on-black phenomenon. He said, we go where the business is and where the man ain't looking. Can you see me going up to Deerfield, black as I am, trying to stick up? The man would be on me so fast I wouldn't get a chewing gum wrapper. Out here, the man is too busy whooping them panthers and giving tickets to mess with me. Anyway, he don't care if niggas get ripped off. But you can bet he's watching his thing back in his own hood. Deerfield is a North Chicago neighborhood that's historically been predominantly white and is 96% white today. The rest of Willie's testimony is self-explanatory. He he commits crimes against other African-Americans because that's who lives around him, and that's what police will let him get away with. 
Jesse Jackson also saw things play out this way and in that year rebuked white government officials and mainstream media for their silence and ineffectiveness in dealing with the present black-on-black crime crisis. Of course, Jesse Jackson had to be one bring it out, make it famous, while applauding the Chicago Daily Defender for its courageous challenge of black-on-black crime. I don't even want to read any more. It's lengthy. Check it out at New Abolitionist Radio. I think the point has been made with that final I mean, statement. Max, it's yeah. common, it should be common sense. Like, if you go to India, right, India, they have a caste system there, and they have a lot of poor people in India. Uh, I don't hear anybody, like, like you know, what's that guy named? Uh, he got convicted of, uh, um, what did he do? He was giving people money to make donations, campaign donation violations. He got convicted. He made the Obama movies and stuff. He's from, he was born in Bombay, India, okay? And so he always be on that black on black stuff. And I was like, hey, dude, why, why do I keep reading about all these rapes in India? Is this something about Indians where you from that they like raping women, gang raping women and, and all that kind of stuff? So, I mean, crimes are like you just read the person intimated in that article. It's opportunity. It's opportunity. Okay? The people around here, they have break-ins. It's predominantly white around here. It ain't black people breaking in white people's houses. It's an old man up the road from me about a year and a half ago who was beaten to death in his own home by a person who looked just like him. Why? Because, okay, this meth capital of the world, and, I mean, excuse me, of North Carolina, and there are no jobs, and they've been cutting these people off of the safety net, and so they turned to crime. And they, they robbed those who are closest to them. Yeah, it's really just a matter of where you live, what your zip code is. You know, like Slick Willie said, you don't run up into the white neighborhoods because <laughs> they'll protect their own, but they don't give a damn what happens in the hood. They matter, matter of fact, they would rather you do it because that way it creates an income for them. There's jobs that got to hire cops, got to hire prison guards, got to build more prisons, got to build more jails, got to have more judges and prosecutors and all these prestigious jobs whose, hinge, whose entire livelihoods hinges on one single thing. How many people go to prison? And one last, How many people are prosecuted? One last yes. thing I'll add, add to that, that they're not figuring into the equation. Places like Chicago... Not only, we talk about the poverty and stuff that, you know, if it's a high crime area, there's usually a high poverty area. But what about the lead poisoning? You know, violence is a symptom of lead poisoning. And we see what they've been doing to people in Flint. And it's not just Flint. I've read articles where it's like that across a lot of places in America. There's some new article that just came out about another place. But Chicago is one of those places. What about, you know, I, I could name a whole lot of environmental impact that could be behind why some people are violent in certain areas. It's a lot of it's a lot of variables to the equation for somebody to just say that because black people hate each other or they're more criminal or, or whatnot. Well again, they they again they trying to keep you distracted from the fact that the whole system is set up to produce slaves. 
That was one of the things that I was speaking with people about this past week, Scotty, is, I mean, it's a what if. We, you've talked about it recently in videos you've produced about white supremacy and racism and what their uses are, you know what I mean? And that if you really think about it, that slavery, legalized slavery, has always been the linchpin for white supremacy. Without it, they wouldn't be able to be supreme because whoever holds the keys to the prisons versus whoever's inside of them tends to point out who is supreme, right? Without that, they wouldn't have that power. They wouldn't have that money. They wouldn't have the, the resources that come from arresting a teenager in New York for $350,000 a year incarceration. They wouldn't have, excuse me, they wouldn't have these things. So you want me to run this video or you want me to set it up first? Uh, which video would that be, Scotty? Um, the one, when is the conscious community and counter-racist going to start talking about slavery never being abolished? Yeah, I, I think we have just enough of time for that. And in our final segments, we're down to 25 minutes or so. So, yeah, let's run that and listen to it. Because this is a challenge that, well, you tell them, Scotty. You tell them. Okay, this video. so it's not, it's not. When I say challenge, I mean like something in the context of the Pepsi challenge. Okay, so that's what I mean. It's an intellectual challenge. I'm challenging people who who self-describe themselves as scholars. There's a whole community of them on YouTube called Conscious Scholars. But I one Saturday, Max, I went through three hours of videos, no mention of slavery, except for it being in a past tense. Okay, talking about it like it, it it happened 150 years ago, you know. And so I'm saying, you know, Tariq Nasheed sent out a tweet which prompted me to challenge him because he's pretty prominent. Everybody know his name. A lot of people know his name. He gets showcased on mainstream media from time to time. And he sent out a tweet that racism is everywhere in the form of systemic white supremacy, which dominates all areas of activity and denial and deflection maintains it. So where, where is slavery in, in, in that? Where, where does slavery fit into that? And so, I mean, what about the system of slavery that birthed, that gave birth to white supremacy in this country? So, I asked the question, I said, do the research. Because I know they got a lot of people that subscribe to their videos and stuff. So I'm just trying to get them to consider abolitionist, abolitionism and what they're talking about. But I'm asking them to do the research. Don't don't believe Scotty. Okay? No. you. And then, as a matter of fact, I think it was... Believe either, James. Say that again. Believe James. He said, don't believe Scotty. Believe James. James just came with his testimony. Right? Well, believe the 13th Amendment. <laughs> Don't believe me? Believe the supreme law of the land. If right. we want to talk about supremacy, that's just the supreme law of the land. And it says slavery was never abolished. And you would think as much as we talk about, and I'm, when I say we, I'm talking about the black community. As much as we talk about slavery, as much as we talk about reparations, you would think that if you came into the knowledge that slavery was never abolished, that'd be at the top of your to-do list is to end it. So that was, I'm issuing a Pepsi challenge to them in the form of an intellectual challenge to do the research. So here's the video. This is Scotty Reed with a Black Talk Radio News report on this segment. 
I would like to issue a direct challenge to the conscious community, which is a part of the black community. And as you can see here, here is a tweet that came out about three hours ago on Twitter by Tariq Nasheed, who is showcased a lot in this system by the mainstream media. Now, he says that racism is everywhere in the form of systemic white supremacy, which dominates all areas of activity and denial and deflection maintains it. Now, I talk about racism, but I talk about racism in a different context as my understanding has grown uh, through reading and research that racism is a tool of slavery that the system that we really need to be worried about is the system of slavery again I do a lot of reading I do a lot of research not saying that I'm right about everything I have issued corrections where I have found that I was in area in error but it just boggles my mind that these researchers and these scholars in the conscious community never talk about the fact that slavery was never abolished at any point in United States history, at any point during colonial history. Slavery was never abolished. And these same scholars, not all of them, but some of them, have published articles in, let's say, The Atlantic, all right, the Atlantic, it used to be an abolitionist paper, but now, um, you know, it's just pretty much another one of those mainstream papers, okay? They don't talk about slavery, they don't talk about abolitionists, and I've seen some of these black scholars publish articles talking about slavery was abolished, that Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery after the conclusion of the Civil War. When the 13th Amendment, the part of the supreme law of the land called the U.S. Constitution, makes clear that slavery was never abolished. I have replied to these people. I have asked them to start talking about slavery and abolitionism because, I mean, it, it just seems to me that you would think that that is the number one the number one threat to black people. Now, I'm going to put out there right now that slavery don't just affect black people. It affects all people. If you go to a prison, you will find people of all different backgrounds, of all different colors, of all different religions. And they're all trapped in modern day slavery and human trafficking. I thought Ava DuVernay was going to open up some people's eyes. Yeah, the documentary could have been more clear about slavery, where a lot of the people who were featured in that film were talking about mass incarceration, which don't exist. If we want to talk about mass incarceration, you would assume that most people would be in prison. Whether you're talking about mass incarceration of black people, you would think that at least 30 million black people would be in prison if we had mass incarceration. We don't have mass incarceration. What we have is a continuation of slavery. And I just want to know, why is it that these scholars never talk about slavery never being abolished? 
for five years now, New Abolitionist Radio, which is a radio program that was uh, conceptualized by by the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina nonprofit, and we created New Abolitionist Radio to bring attention to the fact that slavery was never abolished. We just recently had our fifth uh, year anniversary. It's a weekly program, and we even... Uh, for 50 weeks one year went through every state constitution to identify the state constitutions that legalized slavery and human trafficking because the language, while it may not be exactly like the 13th Amendment, it is similar language that provides for an exception clause. So I'm issuing a direct challenge to the so-called conscious community because I don't see how you can call yourself Uh, conscious or put out there like you're more conscious than others and you're not even conscious of the fact that the United States never abolished slavery and that it is still affecting people today. From my research, racism is a tool that was used to practice race-based slavery. Now, um, we also, I found doing my research that the United States government actually passed laws against white supremacy and racism. They passed constitutional amendments. They passed laws like the Klan Act of 1871, which gave Ulysses S. Grant the tools he needed to destroy the Ku Klux Klan terrorist organization. And then it was reformatted or I should say the United States in 1915 then started openly supporting white supremacist terrorist organizations and it continues to this day. All right. But racism has always been a tool to put people into slavery It's just now in this modern period of enslavement. It affects all people and not just black people. I mean, this is documented history. Uh, Shout out to Brother Lee Wood, who in 1971 published the book, Prison Slavery. It's no longer in print, but um, you may be able to find, uh, I think you can go to Google and you can find some cash copies of it and you can get some excerpts from it. But Mr. Wood is still alive today, but not many people know his name. And he published that that groundbreaking book in 1971 called Prison Slavery, pointing to the 13th Amendment and telling the people that slavery was never abolished. When is the conscious community going to become abolitionists and work towards the abolishment of slavery and finish the job of many of these famous black people that they will talk about? like Frederick Douglass, like Sojourner Truth, like Harriet Tubman, where the job has not been done, okay? Because Lincoln capitulated to the leaders of the former former Confederate States of America and made an agreement with them to allow them to continue practicing slavery, but as punishment for crime, which I just made a video about that yesterday that I'll play for you at the end of my commentary. Um, So 
What happened after the passage of the 13th Amendment? Well, then you had the convict leasing program where the states and the federal government would lease prisoners back to the plantations, black back to these industries like the mining industry, like the railroad industry to use prison slave labor. All right. So what did they do? Uh, what laws were passed after the passage and the ratification of the 13th Amendment? The black codes. Yeah, we'll hear about people uh, who discuss racism, talk about the black codes. But what was the purpose of the black codes to put black people back into slavery? OK, so I'm issuing a direct challenge to the conscious community to stop talking about slavery in past tense and to stop uh, not being able to see the forest through the trees. And that is slavery. That is the number one issue facing our generation. This has been Scotty Reed with a Black Talk Radio News Commentary. Wow. I'm hoping that they take you up on that uh, challenge, Scotty. I've issued a few of them myself over the years, brother. And it's always the same frustrations, the intellectuals among us who won't even address the issue. And you ask why, and they have nothing to say. Um, I can't explain it, Max. I cannot explain it except for maybe cognitive dissonance. But again, you're a scholar. That means you learned. That means you studied. That means you research. So in all of this research and coming out with this analysis, how come slavery don't ain't nowhere in there? I can't make sense of it, Max. And that's I, I want them. Uh, you know, it's not that I'm trying to become their adversary. I want to make them my abolitionist ally. Some people don't want to be wrong. Other people can't afford to be wrong. Like times when you can't afford to be wrong and this is just a matter of perspective uh, specifically those who choose to remain silent is when you can't afford to be wrong is you've already published books that says something else you've already put out CDs and DVDs that have said something else and it, this new information would debunk what you just said so you'd have to start from scratch all over again and that's not something some people want to face you know they put out these uh, DVDs uh, recently over the years now with Tariq and several other brothers including Umar and they not in the, those DVDs at any point are they talking about how slavery's continued as you said it's always a past tense the same thing is applicable to uh, Michelle Alexander's book where you know she pointed it out and really popularized it as mass incarceration when it's not mass incarceration that means you got to change your narrative now and that's something that some cannot afford to do and it's petty as hell when you say can't afford to do, what do you mean that they um, will then be saying, Who's gonna "Don't buy, buy a my DVD book"? That, that that's wrong now. Right? People are like so wrong. Who's gonna buy it now? Who's gonna buy a book? And we're like, you misdirected us. That, that's not what was going on at all. You had some great points. You made a lot of inroads, but you were going in the wrong direction. Man, so let, now, yeah. Let Let me say, they're not wrong. And pointing out racism because racism exists and it's a tool of slavery. But that's all I'm saying. Include slavery in your analysis. 
If it's, you don't, you yeah. got bad foundation. Yeah, the you're not wrong to talk about racism and, and what you call white supremacy. So you know you're not wrong. But why did they bring that about? Why did they start in 1640s? Um, yeah, in the late 1600s in the Virginia Slave Code, why did they start stripping free black colonists of their rights in that? Why? Why? They didn't want them armed or something. They didn't want them uh, coming up with a militia so that, hey, we, hey, this, this slavery stuff, we should have we never let Washington and Jefferson and them have their way. You know, no, we got to fight another. We got to fight another revolution right after we get through whooping up on the British. Now we got to get the slavers. You know what I'm saying? So that's why. So that they could maintain a race based system of slavery. But slavery was their primary goal of maintaining that system. Because like other people have said, you don't end the system that's profitable. If if I got a business that's profitable, I'm gonna do everything I can to keep that business going. Yeah, like you said earlier, brother, you can't be woke and not see that. I mean, like, because when somebody talk about they woke and they don't recognize that it's clear as day with all the proof behind it, then I, yeah, I don't know, you ain't woke to me. Well, I'm woke hoping. I'm hoping that they will include that in their analysis. I'm asking them to do the research first. Cause it's nothing. It's one thing for somebody to tell you, but it's quite another thing when you research it for yourself, and you take a long view of history. Yeah, and this is nothing we haven't asked the anti-slavery organizations themselves, the global anti-slavery organizations, to do. Uh, we constantly put them on the uh, on front street, saying, "How you, you know, call yourself." the uh, legacy of the abolitionists and you're fighting legalized slavery and ignoring legal slavery which is what the abolitionists fought which is why they were called abolitionists because you can't abolish something that is already illegal you know the Clinton Foundation got me uh, banned from YouTube for about a week because I used one of their videos of Barack Obama giving a speech talking about slavery that's already illegal and human trafficking so I took that video I played you know a portion of it uh, the highlights of his speech talking about slavery and mass incarceration I mean excuse me slavery and human trafficking globally but I'm saying wait a minute we live here in the United States in the 13th amendment you know says that slavery is reserved as punishment for crime so you know that instead of them reaching out and saying, you know what, we got to address that issue too, because we sound like a bunch of hypocrites and whatnot. No, what did they do? They complained to YouTube and got me banned for a week. Hey, Scotty, we got about less than 10 minutes left and two segments to go. How you want to run this? Well, do the writer of the Freedom uh, Underground Railroad and yes. the Rebellion. Okay, I uh, got them both lined up here. Um, which would you prefer to have? Uh, let me do the rider. Okay, great. We got a special rider this week, the handyman who spent 90 days in jail. And yes, he escaped freedom because it could have been a whole lot worse. Wait till you hear the story. Should I start with the uh, rebellion first? Uh, let me do the handyman first. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. At, all right. All right. Uh, it, the title is Handyman Jail for 90 Days After Drywall Dust. 
mistaken for cocaine. Now, how you gonna mistake some drywall for some doggone cocaine? Don't you got them little chemical kits that you put the stuff in and it turns blue if it's cocaine? A Florida handyman, this is out of Orvito, Florida. A Florida handyman spent three months in jail for a crime he didn't commit. When police stopped Carlos Cash for driving without lights, officers found what they believed to be marijuana and a white powder on his front seat they thought might be cocaine. A field test came back positive. A police video of the arrest show officers searching his phone case. Um, I don't know, man, this website jumping around. I don't know if he does drywall work or something, but there is white stuff all in that case. One officer can be heard saying in video obtained by WFTV. What we found so far ain't drywall. A K-9 unit at the scene also alerted on Cash's car. I, I don't believe this, man. Uh-uh. No, I don't believe him. They lying. Police ended up arresting Cash and booking him at the Seminole County Jail at the search of his name show he was on probation in connection with marijuana and cocaine charges dating back to 2015. Well, officers didn't know, however, was that a lab would later confirm that the white powder was indeed just drywall dust. Cash wasn't allowed to post bond because of the alleged probation violation. Uh, that's that recidivism. Uh, uh, thing. I sat there 90 days knowing I was innocent, Cash told WFTV. Orvito Police Department Lieutenant Heather uh, Capetillo told reporters that they're currently reviewing the use of the field drug testing kits made by the Safari Land. Is that correct? Safari Land group? What are y'all hunting? Oh yeah, y'all, I see. Okay, human beings. The same, y'all, man, Jesus. The same kids were used in a false positive that sent a man to jail for alleged meth possession. The meth in that case turned out to be Krispy Kreme donate, donut glaze, according to the Sentinel. Finally, Free Cash says he wants police to investigate what led to an innocent man sitting in a jail cell for 90 days and, and could have been sent to the prison plantation. So he was uh, cleared of all charges, and so we welcome him back to freedom. Welcome to freedom, brother. You put your toes in the water. You skirted with death. You could have been in there for the rest of your living days. You might not have made it a night like Sandra Bland did. You know what I mean? Anything could have happened once you got in those doors, and it was so easy for them to snatch you up and keep you Knowing all along, all they had to do was test the dust. <laughs> wow! I bet hey. he lost everything. But I'm, I'm wondering I how I many people got who, uh, who weren't as fortunate as him that got put in jail on false positives and eventually went to prison. Yep, I'm sure he lost everything. Ninety days in jail to do that—it'll ruin your entire life. All right. Our next segment will be our uh, we'll be remembering the rebellion of the Cherokee Slave Revolt of 1842. Not all slave owners were wealthy white guys sipping juleps on cotton plantations. And in an effort to become like white Americans, the five civilized tribes, Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole, became farmers, opened public schools, and started buying black people. After all, it was the American way. The Cherokees owned over 4,000 slaves and took 1,592 with them down the Trail of Tears. 
These slaves mostly belonged to mixed-race Cherokees who employed them as interpreters, servants, and farmhands. But as it turns out, Cherokee farmers weren't any better than their white counterparts, so the slaves decided to fight back. On November 15, 1842, Joseph Van's slaves were up bright and early, planning to take advantage of their master's white ways. The Cherokees had given up their mud huts for log cabins and clapboard houses, and the new homes came equipped with doors. So while the Cherokees slept, the slaves locked them in their houses and then stole horses, guns, and supplies. Their plan was to meet up with a band of Creek slaves and head to Mexico, which was closer than Canada and just as slave-free. After the Cherokees finally broke down their doors, they organized a search party and caught up with the runaways on the open prairie. The slaves took shelter in a deep depression that provided cover from all sides and began firing at their pursuers. The gun battle lasted for two straight days before the Cherokees decided they needed backup and retreated. The slaves saddled up and continued south. Along the way, they rescued some Choctaw slaves from two bounty hunters, neither of whom would ever collect another bounty. Unfortunately, the Cherokee National Council convened a meeting where they decided to send 87 members of the Cherokee militia after the slaves. When the soldiers caught up with the runaways, they found a sad sight. The slaves had run out of supplies and were starving and too exhausted to fight back. Five were handed over to the military to stand trial for the murder of the slave hunters, and the rest were forced into hard labor. And we hear a new abolitionist remember the uprising of the Cherokee slave revolts of 1842. Yep, that's, um, yeah, man, that's just, it's just sad, man. And, you know, actually, I had a conversation on social media about this. I'm looking to see if we got our host for the next show on. I don't see them in, uh, but we do got to get ready wrapped up. But this is what it looks like when you take on the ways of the oppressor. When you don't oppose the oppressor and you compromise. I mean, Brother Davis was just talking about this on Tando. You become corrupt like that. You allow these other people to corrupt you. Okay, that's what that's that's a perfect example of that right there. And we see it today. That's why I like to post the pictures of the entire boards of these private prison corporations. There's nine white people on them. Every time I went to see my brother in prison, I saw a whole bunch of non-white prison overseers. So, you know, I'm like this. Either you for slavery or you against slavery. And your color don't much matter to me. Either you're abolitionist or you ain't. And that's what uh, that's that's where I'm drawing the line in the sand. Max, you got any final thoughts? Those will be mine. Uh, yeah, I have these, this long, drawn-out, elaborate thing I want to talk about. And it goes like this. Abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some damn peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, 
Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if His protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise.